you know, um, Peter said before, often English people come here and think this event is weird. It's not weird. It's amazing. It's utterly amazing that people from so many different types of churches come together and praise together. It's ridiculous it doesn't cost anything. Aren't there any business schools in this country? (laughs) But it's amazing. Stick together, friends. Stick together. uh, I am from the United Kingdom, so this is my homeland. But in the little bit I live in, in England, we don't have things like this. Stick together. That's why I delight in it particularly, because I work for the Evangelical Alliance. We exist to unite the church. This is living embodiment of what we exist for. Whatever age they are. So friends as well, engage with us, speak to us, but keep going. The other thing as well, because when you're in your culture, you think you're normal. You lot are not normal. You're not normal at all. You're nice. You're really hospitable. It's like nothing I've known. My daughter said to me this afternoon, Daddy, we should move to Ireland. I said, um... I've gone as far as a third of the shirt is green. But I said, why? She said, everyone here is so lovely. Genuinely, she says, why aren't they like this at home? I said, sweetheart, you're growing up in London. (laughs) Everyone everywhere is lovely compared to that. But honestly, you've got amazing hospitality and you've got wonderful unity in this tent. Keep it. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, I do actually just want to pray for everyone gathered here tonight. I want to pray you would guard their unity. Lord, when the evil one tries to get in the way, stop him. Lord, when um, little arguments try to become big arguments and cause problems, Lord, let's kill them off. And Lord, this wonderful, hospitable church in Northern Ireland, make it more dangerous for your kingdom, we pray. Help it not just to be hospitable, Help it to be soul winning. Help it to be culturally transforming. And in all things, help it to love you more tomorrow than it does today. Amen. You know, there's nothing people misunderstand more than how we should go about reaching people. The other night, it was brilliant to see people meet Jesus. Tonight, I simply want to talk about what kind of heart should we have as we seek to reach people. But nothing will be more misunderstood than that. And and misunderstandings get you into trouble, don't they? I had one um, just before leaving Youth for Christ, where I'd been for 14 years. I preached at a youth event in Newham in East London. It's where the last Olympics were. And I preached at this event and, and I joined Youth for Christ when I was 21. I was cool and I was down with the kids. I had assumed that in 14 years, nothing had changed. So I preached and I used a word the young people like to use. Sick. Now they use it just for anyone here older than me, like Peter. They use that to mean good. I used it in youth context. At the end, this little um, boy comes up to me. He's 14. He goes, he says, what go on, blood? You is too old to use the word sick. I realized in that moment something had changed. You want to put it in other terms, I'm too old to shop in River Island. It's time to shop in Next. But unlike 95% of clergy in the UK, M&S is still a decade away. 
Oh, oh, we had another one. Um, my daughter, Amelie, saw a Muslim woman dressed in the full hijab, the full um, coverings. She said to my wife, Anne, Mommy, why is that woman dressed like that? And said, well, Amelie, she's a Muslim. So Amelie said, well, Mommy, what's a Muslim? So my wife, Anne, said, well, it's someone who's very religious, takes himself very seriously and lives their life by a really strict set of laws. Amelie said, Mommy, is Daddy a Muslim? Or one more. I got ordained about 10 years ago. It's not a proper one, it's just a Baptist one. But I got ordained. And um, I went through the process. It comes to the last meeting, you're in or you're out. And I'm being interviewed by, interviewed by this older gentleman. He says to me, young man, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? I said, I want to change the world for Jesus or die in the process. He says, No. That's not realistic enough. That's not sensible enough. He says, young man, be tangible. Young man, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? I said, okay. I said, I want to be involved in the greatest revival the world has ever known. And I want it to be in the United Kingdom. He says, no. That's not sensible enough. That's not tangible enough. Young man, be realistic. Young man, be sensible. What do you want to do with the rest of your life? Looked up and I said, never turn out like you. (laughs) Now, I wouldn't say that now. It was a rude misunderstanding, but I mean it. I never want to get up in the morning and think, Lord, what are you not going to do? I never want to get up in the morning and think, Lord, how can you meet me in my tiny expectations so I'm not disappointed? I want to get up in the morning and think, come on, Lord, let's take on the world and let's see something outrageous. You know, in England six years ago, W.H. Smith put all the Christianity books into the history section. Because they thought we were finished. They have since moved them out of the history section. But friends, Christianity is not done in the United Kingdom. And I simply want to look tonight at what kind of heart we need, what kind of approach we need as we seek to reach people. So if you've got your Bibles, would you turn them on again? We're going to go to Luke 19. And we're going to read from verse 41. It says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Then he entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all his people, all the people hung on his words. You know, the first thing we learn from Jesus about our approach to outreach is it starts with compassion. It starts with compassion. Jesus comes from the Mount of Olives. He comes around the bend in the road and he looks down on the city of Jerusalem. 
I've done this myself. I've stared down from the Mount of Olives at the city of Jerusalem. You see the wonderful walled city. Some clever spark has bricked in the golden gate because, you know, the God who made the world, that will stop him. But, you know, you stare down on the city of Jerusalem, you can see it. And in his day, Jesus had a great view of Jerusalem. He comes to the turn in the road, he stops and he looks. And in the Greek, it's not, it's not just a quick glance, it's a deep look. He looks down on the city and he weeps because he knows what's going to happen. If only the Jews had abandoned their dreams of political power and followed Jesus, Jerusalem need not have been destroyed in AD 70. You know, Jesus knows about 40, 50 years after this moment, the city will destroy itself because it's gone its own way. It's followed its own agenda. It's not gone the way of Christ. And in that moment, his first response is not judgment. His first response are tears of compassion for the people who've gone astray. Friends, we have got to try and be more compassionate for those who don't know Jesus. Let me break something down for us that's really simple. We're called sheep in the Bible, right? That's not a compliment. Sheep are really stupid. They are, aren't they? Your average sheep spends most of their life following another sheep's rear. And if that sheep in front walks off the cliff, you walk off the cliff too and some lucky Joe comes and gets lamb chops. Sheep don't know what they're doing a lot of the time. They're not the cleverest animal. I find it hard being a sheep with a shepherd. Can you imagine what it'd be like without one? My compassion for people who don't have Jesus comes from even beginning to imagine what life would be like without Jesus. Take Psalm 23, turn all the positives into negatives and think about what it would be to not have Jesus. Our starting position has got to be compassion. Jesus' tears are out of desperation for people to see things more clearly. And I think we need to ask God to see things how he sees them. As we work with people, as we reach people, how does God see your neighbour? How does God see your family? How does God see your work colleagues? And we need to ask for compassion because the starting point for anything is compassion. One of the Greek words used for compassion, is, it says that it, it feels like you stick a spear in your guts, you turn it around, you rip it out and you're like, oh, that deep, deep, deep longing, that pain in your guts. That's what we need to pray for too, as we look at people who don't have Jesus. You, know, you can only live once you know the author of life. If you don't know the author of life, you just walk through life existing. Those of us who know Jesus have the absolute privilege of living. We need to pray for compassion for those who don't know that life. You know, um, when I first started um, having to go and meet people to ask them for serious amounts of cash at Youth for Christ, I went to see this banker. And I went to visit him and it was a time when there was a terror alert in London. So I met him in an underground bunker. It was really exciting. He was so important, he had to be underground when the terror alert was raised. And I went to see him and you know what? I didn't look like this. I looked proper good. I had a three-piece suit on. I had a tie on, right? And I even had some help with the knot to do it properly. I looked dapper. And I went to see him. And his checkbook was liberal for evangelism that day. It was a good day. 
and I came back out onto ground level because, you know, I'm not important enough to be under the ground. And I came back to ground level and I thought, wow, God, you must be proud of me today. Haven't I done well? And I walked past the Tesco Express and there in the doorway of that Tesco Express was a woman crying. And I just walked past her. And as I walked past her, I felt something in my guts. How dare you walk past her? And I went back to her and I said, what's wrong? She said, my husband's kicked me out. I need to get to my mum's home in such and such a place. I haven't got any money. I called a cab over and I said to him, how much to get to such and such? He says, 20 quid. I looked in my wallet. I had 20 pounds. I gave it to him. He took her. But that day I learned a really important lesson. We have got to stop deciding which human beings matter. Because that banker mattered in every way to me. But that woman, I needed a second reminder that she was just as important. Every person Jesus died for. And we've got to start seeking compassion for those we might not always like. Asking God to see them as he sees them. Because outreach starts with compassion. And this needs to happen with those that are different too. For years in youth work, we would still see churches where kids would get thrown out for the wrong tattoo or piercing or wearing the wrong bit of clothing. Older people, let me ask you to do me a favour. Just humour what they chose to wear. Because they are belly laughing at your fashion choices. (laughs) Friends, we need compassion across people. We often go on holiday to Abersock. It's in North Wales on the end of the Clym Peninsula. Because my wife's not from London, she's a plastic scouser. She's from the Wirral. And um, the posh part of the Wirral, they all go on holiday to Abersock. The problem is with Abersock, it's a bit too Jack Wills. It's a bit too designer label for my charity wages. But my children wanted a present. So we were looking around Abersock and we found the shop I needed. Bargain Bonanza, it was called. And I gave my kids a pound and they're like, what daddy, a whole pound? I'm like, Lord, in your mercy, would you continue this for years? (laughs) And they went in and my daughter chose some stationery. And my son chose these three plastic soldiers with parachutes on that you throw down the stairs. I had them when I was a boy, except you got 30 for a pound. We went back to where we were staying. It was by a cliff edge near the beach. Me and my son, Daniel, we took one of the soldiers over to the cliff edge when the girls went in the house. Turns to me, he says, can you throw it to the beach? That's a long way to the beach over the cliff edge and clearly I can't throw it that far. But even with my six-year-old son, I still have an ego. So I was like, of course I can. I run up. I launch it. Goes about a metre and a half. Gets stuck on the open cliff face. I turn around to walk back to the house to get another one and I hear a whimper. Turn around, my son's starting to cry. He says, no daddy, we need to get that one. Pointing at the one on the cliff edge. I'm like, why? He says, a soldier never leaves a man behind. I said, where did you get that? He says, Toy Story. (laughs) Friends, a church must never leave a person behind. It's not up to us to decide who we're going after. Everyone Jesus died for. Therefore, we say, Lord Jesus, give me compassion for all. But secondly... In our outreach, we need righteousness. We need righteousness. In this passage, why is there such violence? We had to pay an annual temple tax. You had to pay an annual temple tax before the perfect lamb who takes away the sins of the world dies on the cross. You had to sacrifice a perfect animal to make do for your sins. 
And the animal had to be absolutely perfect without spot or blemish. And most people think Jesus is cross because they're selling in the temple. That's not the real problem. The real problem is that the temple would usually reject the animals of the poor. They would find a reason why they were not good enough. So poor people were put in a position where they nearly always had to buy off the sellers at the temple. But the sellers at the temple would charge a poor person 10 to 15 times as much as they would charge a rich person. So Jesus is furious because the very act of worship people are seeking to bring to him, to God, is being taken advantage of as the rich get richer, the poor get taken advantage of, and the poor once more are kicked in the face. But this time, instead of weeping, Jesus gets angry. He gets angry. His emotions are raw. He's fed up with the way people are behaving in the city. Not on his watch will the poor be treated like this. You know, our outreach has got to involve a heart for the poor and for people being taken advantage of. God's righteous anger sometimes makes us act in ways that shock people. You know, I sometimes uh, wonder whether when people come to faith, they have a little operation done where all the blood's taken out of their veins and replaced with antifreeze. So we never get cross about anything. But you know what, friends? Some things have got to make us angry. And when things make us angry, we've got to act differently. What is happening in your world that needs to change? We stand on the shoulders of giants as the church. NHS, massively influenced by the church. Education, provided by the church. Education for women when the state wouldn't do it. Provided by the church. William Wilberforce, hero of mine, gave his everything for the abolition of the slave trade. Because it's not okay for people to be sold. You know, when Wilberforce did it, he had to stand up to the church as well. There were loads of people in the church getting very wealthy off that. But it's wrong. Not on my watch can that happen. What makes you angry? You know, there's 47,000 churches in the UK and 45,000 kids that the care system don't know what to do with. If every church resettled one of those kids and the 2,000 richest churches paid the bill, dealt with. It makes me angry that women are still trafficked for sex in the UK. It made me angry when I was in Youth for Christ that you could say what you liked about teenagers. You know, people have a go at teenagers all the time. Have you noticed this? Honestly, they have a go at teenagers all the time. If you did the same to older people, you would get castigated. For example, people say teenagers sleep too much. Science says they need to sleep enough while their bodies grow. The equivalent to that would be to say to an old person, you need to move quicker. It's going against the laws of your body. And you know, people say what they like about teenagers. Five years ago last week, a few young people were a bit naughty. They called it the riots. Happened mainly in London. And during that week, um, I was at Soul Survivor, which is a festival where Christian young people get together. And I went on the six o'clock news during the riots. And the woman asked me live on the six o'clock news, why are all the young people of the United Kingdom rioting? I said, they're not. I said, yesterday I was in a field in Shepton Mallet in Somerset. And there were more young people praising Jesus in one field than rioting in the whole of the United Kingdom. She didn't know what to say. You know, if you're ever going to do media, unless you're Peter Linus and you're really good at it, if you're ever going to do media, only do it live. Because they can't stop you. 
But you know what? It's not okay. It's not okay that we can say what we like about teenagers. That's not okay. It's not okay that there's people in your communities no one loves. Love them. It's not okay that there are underclasses in every environment. It's not okay. Righteousness says, in my outreach, I'm not just going to be compassionate. I'm also going to be salt and light, standing up for the marginalized, having God's eyes. You know, my parents run a church in America. I won't do it into a microphone because it's not appropriate, but I can tell you loads of things wrong with the American church. Do you know why? Because I'm not American. When you're outside, you can see the problems. When you're inside, it's normal. We need to say to God, help me have your eyes to see this world, not the eyes I've inherited from my culture. Because my culture's told me this is okay, but I know in you it's not. Give me your eyes, King Jesus, that I can see what's wrong. So I can be compassionate and I can see with righteousness. You know, Mother Teresa, when she worked in Calcutta, got 5,000 letters a week from people around the world asking to go and work with her. When she was able, she sent a pre-printed reply. It simply said this, open your front door, there's your Calcutta. Deal with it. Friends, with compassion and righteousness, we can begin to deal with our Calcutta. But the third thing we need is we need courage. And boy, do we need courage. A dad went to the supermarket with his newborn baby. Newborn baby's screaming its head off. The dad's putting food into his trolley. Two things happen in this scenario. If you've not got kids, you think, can't they? Shut that kid up. If you've got kids, you're like, thank you, Jesus. It's not my go today. And the dad's going around in the supermarket. He's putting food in his trolley. He can be heard saying, it's all right, George, nearly done. Don't worry, George, we'll be finished before you know it. Stop worrying, George, we'll be home soon. The dad keeps putting stuff in the trolley. He can keep being heard saying things like, it's okay, George, almost finished now. Baby keeps screaming the whole way around. Eventually, the dad gets into the queue with his trolley full of food and the baby's still screaming. The dad's still saying, don't worry, George, almost finished. Woman comes over and says, I've been so encouraged seeing how you've shared with baby George as you've gone around the shop. Dad looks a bit confused. So she tries again. I've been so blessed seeing how you've interacted with baby George. The guy says, no, you've got it all wrong. He's not George. I'm George. (laughs) Some of us need to give ourselves a pep talk to keep going. Some of us need to have a little motivational word with ourselves. Do you know what? You can do this. Do you know what? You can stand out with courage. You know what? You can stand up for Jesus. It is hard. I said the other night, evangelism is the rejection ministry. But I tell you something, we have got to get serious about doing it. And we have got to have the courage to stand up and speak up. At this point in the text, the authorities could not arrest Jesus. For the people hung on his every word. But you know, every time he spoke, he took his life in his hands. All you and I have to take in our hands is our credibility, our social position, our relationships. Every time Jesus opens his mouth, he takes his life in his hands. And he knew full well it would only be a matter of time until his life was taken because of what he was doing. You know what? I think we have too much of an earthly perspective, not an eternal one. I look around the world and see so many people being martyred and there were stories last night, weren't there? So humbling. 
And you know what? If we lived in the light of eternity, we'd be more courageous now. Um, a guy I've got to know a little bit is a guy called Rick Warren who runs a church in America, a little church called Saddleback. It's not that little. It's got lots of people at it. And he said recently on the Oprah Winfrey show, I'm more afraid of God than I am of man. I want to be more living for God than I am for the approval of the people around me, being courageous. But you might say, but it's all right for you. You're bold and everything else. No, no, no. We all choose to say, all right, Lord, I am good enough and worthy to be used by you. The only way we will change a nation is for the church to be gathered and then scattered. But Jesus took a youth group of 12 young men and he changed the world with them. What could he do with you? Northern Ireland could be transformed by 10 people in this tent, let alone all of us. We could change the world. And some of you need to know tonight, God thinks you are brilliant. He threw the mould away, not because it was broken, one of you's enough. He thinks you're amazing and he loves you and he wants you to be used by him. But you need to be courageous enough and believe it. My daughter, Amelie's nine and she rang my mum. My mum and dad live in America. And she rang my mum and um, she rings my mum and she says, because um, my daughter, Amelie, got quite into Bruno Mars. You know Bruno Mars, the singer? My mum's got no idea who he is because like, she's lovely, right? But she's like the least cool person you can imagine. And... Um, Amelie rings up my mum and she says, Grandma, do you know what happens when you smile? My mum's like, no, what happens, Amelie? Amelie says, the whole world stops and stares for a while. <laughs> Amelie says, do you know why, Grandma? My mum's like, no, no, why, Amelie, why? Amelie says, because, Grandma, you're amazing, just the way you are. <laughs> now, Amelie then gives me the phone looking all ambivalent, right? And I get the phone and my mum's like, have you ever guessed? I said, don't worry, mum. She says it to everyone. (laughs) You know what? God says that to everyone. Maybe not just the way you are. Max Licardo says, God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much for you to stay the way you are. He wants you to be like Jesus. No, we're all a work in progress, but God loves you. And if God loves you and God accepts you and God promises he is with you, then we need to be courageous, eh? And you know, we need to take some risks. We need to start doing some things that, that seem crazy, but because we think God's in them. I was in a tent like this about five years ago at an event called Soul Survivor I mentioned before. It's a different time. And I'm there at Soul Survivor. And I'm feeling sorry for myself because we're in a recession and I'm leading youth for Christ and I'm raising a, quite a lot of money and doing quite a lot and no one's really noticing. Pathetic, I know. I was feeling sorry for myself. Anne wasn't there to chastise me, so I felt God did. And I felt him challenge me, stop feeling sorry for yourself. Start thanking people that do stuff to help young people that are in the limelight. So I started writing letters. I wrote one to the Prime Minister. I wrote one to Tony Blair, Richard Branson, various people. It's interesting, when you write to them, and you you write to them saying you work with an organisation that works with a quarter of a million young people a month, they all write back. So we say what we like about teenagers, but we actually care about what they think. And um, then there was a TV show on which Fern Britton interviewed the actress Dot Cotton from EastEnders, right? One of two original cast members, Dot Cotton. Even if you don't know EastEnders, you probably know who Dot Cotton is. And I'll keep calling her Dot Cotton because it makes it easier than saying her actual name, June Brown. And on this it said that her faith underpinned everything. So I wrote to Dot Cotton, thanking her for being a good role model to young people. 
About three months later, I get a phone call at work. I answer the phone. It's Doc Cotton. She doesn't put on an accent in EastEnders. She sounds exactly the same. So I nearly said, do you want my laundry, love? But I didn't. She says, I'm, I'm ringing to thank you for your letter. She says, there's been a baby swap plot in EastEnders. And it was all very immoral. They swapped two babies over. There was a cot death and all very immoral. And she said, during that, they'd written in three or four bits in which my faith would look stupid. So she said, I photocopied your letter. I gave a copy to each of the writers of EastEnders. And I said to them, how can you make my faith look stupid when this young man's thanking me for being a good role model to young people? So they changed the script of EastEnders to be positive about Jesus, not negative. And she said, and that goes out to 10 million people. So I just thought, I'd thank you. I was like, okay. She then says, what can I do for you? And I'm like, don't ask for a check. Don't ask for a check. <laughs> so I got my diary up and quickly I put in a date, YFC online auction three months in advance. I said to her, we've got an auction coming up in a few months. I said, could you send me some stuff? She said, yeah, I'll do that. That's absolutely fine. She said, but I want you to do one other thing for me. I want you to come and see me and tell me what God's doing amongst young people in Britain. Do you know, within a week, she'd sent me an Albert Square road sign, which is where EastEnders is based, signed by the whole cast. She'd sent me a script signed by her, a caricature signed by her, and a picture signed by her. If you had it on your wall, you wouldn't sleep at night. (laughs) It's got Doc Cotton holding a baby in one hand, a cigarette in the other. It says, which will Doc give up first? (laughs) A couple of months later, I went to see Doc Cotton. I knocked on her front door. She opens the front door. First thing she says, Ooh, you look like a lovely young man. (laughs) I went into her house. We ended up in her garden. She smoked a lot. She said to me, "Um, I've never had a letter from a Christian that's positive before. She said, I've had lots about my smoking. She says, I'll be honest. I know it's a problem. It's the thorn in my side. I'm trying to give it up. But she says, at 87 years of age, I'm hardly an advert for the fact that smoking kills. She then says to me, she says, um, <laughs> she says, tell me what God's doing amongst young people in Britain. So I told her, I told her loads of stuff. She got quite emotional. We had a great time together. Then um, we end up in a lounge in the end. And just before I'm about to leave, I said, would you, um, would you mind if I prayed for you? She said, no, 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 yeah, pray for me whenever. I said, no, no, I've prayed for you every day since I encountered you. She said, why? I said, I don't know anyone else that has access to 10 million people with the gospel. I said, so can I pray for you? Yeah, she says, says, anytime. I said, no, now. Can I pray for you now? She says, okay. But then she stands up and she says, no one's done this for a while, but the last time they did, they put their hand on my head and it felt good. Would you put your hand on my head? I'm like, whatever, Jesus. So (laughs) I'm stood in Doc Cotton's lounge. She's little. I've got my hand on her head. I pray a proper penty prayer. Lord, bless, anoint, equip, use. She begins to cry. I think, Calva, you've really blown it now. I would say she runs out the room. She doesn't. She's 87. So she meanders at a pace. She comes back in with a checkbook. She's written me a check. I said, what's that? She said, you've blessed me. I want to bless you for Christ. She gives me a check. At that point, I should just leave, right? I couldn't help myself. I opened my jacket. I'm really sorry, Doc. I've got a gift aid form. Would you mind? It's, uh, it's important to be tax efficient, right? 
Do you know, it's been the start of a strange friendship. We talk on the phone fairly regularly. I try and see her once or twice every term. She went on the um, Graham Norton show and was really disappointed with how she'd come across as she rang me the next day. It's weird how God moves, isn't it? But when we're courageous, things happen. Now, albeit the price of a stamp has gone up, but frankly, I sent a badly written letter. And in the hands of God, a badly written letter can change the view he shared with 10 million people. What could he do with your little? And done with the right motive. You know, now I write to anyone and frankly, it goes nowhere. Because then it was done with the right motive. God wants us to be courageous. He is with us. For too long, the church has been on the back foot, waiting for the world to come to it. We need to go on the front foot. We need to scatter and be courageous, compassionate, righteous individuals who believe that God is powerful enough to change the world and who are prepared to do whatever it takes to reach the world. Hopefully, it won't take much, but sometimes it does. I met three girls who are in year nine. I think that's year 10 to you guys here because you don't have reception which makes perfect sense. You start school, it's year one, right? What's reception? You try and drop them off at reception, they're like, what are you doing here? They need to go to reception. You're like, what? But anyway, get over that, Calva. Year 10, 14-year-old girls. And they believe God says to them they need to have a Christian union. And there's no other Christians in their school. And as ever with three 14-year-old girls, one of them is the bullshit, stroppy leader. And the other two just go along with it. So they go to see the head teacher. And the bullshit one says, sir, we want to start a Christian union. He says, not in this school. You'll upset the other faiths. We're not doing it here. We're not having that. They turn around to leave. The bullshit one turns around. She says, sir, either you change your mind or we will pray every day that you leave this school. He doesn't change his mind. They pray every day. Six months later, he gets up in assembly. He says, I've got another job at another school. I'm leaving. The girls turn to each other and think, we never realized prayer worked. (laughs) New teacher comes in, new head teacher. It's a woman. They think sister, sister conversation. They walk in. The bullshit one says, miss, we want to start a Christian union. She says, no, not in this school. You'll offend the other face. We're not doing it here. This time they're walking out of the office. They turn around to get out of the office. The quiet girls have got an arm each of the stroppy one. The stroppy one gets to the point, she's like this. One foot in the office, one foot out. And she throws off the quiet girls. And she says, Miss, do you know why your predecessor left? And she's like, no. And this girl says, well, I'll tell you what I told him. Either you change your mind or we'll just pray every day that you leave the school. Nine months later, she gets up in assembly. It's just before the summer holidays. She says, I'm pregnant with twins. I'm not coming back after the holidays. The girls look at each other like, "Mm, (laughs) Jedi we have. (laughs) New head teacher comes in. This time it's another man. And this time they're all bullshit, they're all moody, they're all up for it. And they storm into his office and they say, Sir, we are want to start a Christian union. He says, great. And they're like, oh. He says, I'm an elder at a local church. If you don't mind, I'll come along. I'll just sit at the back. 
says, I'll make a room available to you. I'll get you a budget as well. Let's do this well. Do you know, within a year of them starting it, of their year group of 100 girls, 86 was the average attendance at the Christian Union. Friends, you may not see that kind of result. You may not see something happen with a soap opera star. But I'll tell you something. If we don't get active, if we don't get out there, if we don't get our hands and our feet dirty for Jesus, we will not change a nation. For too long, the church has sat back feeling like it has some divine right for everyone to come to it. It's time that the church went out into the world and we had compassion. We had compassion for sheep without a shepherd. We had righteousness. We know what's right and what's not right. And friends, you know what? Short term, you want to win loads of people for Jesus? Just extend your theology to incorporate whatever behavior you like. Long term fruit, stick faithful to the message. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much for you to stay the way you are. He wants you to be like Jesus. Finally, though, we need to be courageous. Boy, do we need to be courageous. And this is hard for British people because we're really polite. Aren't we? Especially you lot, man. You're almost too nice for your own good. God needs to give us a fix of courage that we could stand up, speak up and show up. You know, post-modernity says everything's about who you are. You know, here's me. Here's the world revolving around me. Who I am is what matters. That is the most irrelevant thing possible. Do you know what matters? Whose you are. Whose are we? We are children of the living God. The God who died on a cross to take every wrong thing upon himself. You've ever done, ever would do, ever could do. The God who was substituted in your place. That you needn't be punished for what you've done, but could know life in all its fullness now and forever. Because that God didn't stay in a grave. The grave is empty. Jesus is alive but he needs us to live in this world with compassion, righteousness and courage as his people. Because I'll tell you something as well. It's not going to happen by osmosis. We need to be the people that do it and make a difference. I realised this myself when I first started at EA. I took a month off before joining the Evangelical Alliance and I came into it really excited, but also with a sense, Gav, you need to give people a chance to follow Jesus. First weekend, I'm at the EA. I'm preaching in Glasgow. It's a good, nice local thing. Not much travelling my first week. And I'm preaching in Glasgow at a discipleship event. There's about 300 men there. And I gave an opportunity for people to follow Jesus. And seven men made a first-time commitment for Jesus. I should have been more excited at the time. I was less excited because I was used to youth numbers. Later in the day, the organiser of the event comes up to me. He's buzzing. That was amazing. We didn't see anyone come to faith last year. Do you know what I asked him? I said, did you ask last year? He says, no. I said, if you don't ask, it ain't going to happen. You get the odd one through a vision or a dream, but we've got to be people who ask. It is brilliant how much social engagement we do, but we have got to be people who ask. We look before the global day of outreach. You know what? That's brilliant next year. But let's make it a real problem that by May, it's hard to find enough people who haven't already done it. Oh, it's brilliant hearing about the Bible project. And you know what? We need to open the Bible up to people who can't read it. It's brilliant. But there's more. There'll be people you can influence. There'll be opportunities you have. There'll be relationships you have. No one else has. And frankly, the church for too long has left mission and evangelism to professionals. And there's no such thing. We're all works in progress. But what we need is a bunch of people released, scattered and sent out with compassion, righteousness, and courage. So I'm not going to mess around. 
if you want God to give you more courage, more courage to be an ambassador for him, more courage to be good news for him in your context, more courage to stand up, speak up and act up for him, more courage to to deliver on the things you think he's challenging you on, more courage to be a winner, a fisher of souls. I'm going to ask you to say something courageous if that's you. I'm just going to ask you to stand. I know that's not what we always do here, but I'm going to ask you to say, just to show, to show the Lord you mean business and you want more courage. If that's you tonight, just do a little courageous move for me and just stand if that's okay. I want to pray for you in a moment. So if that's you, just where you are, just stand to your feet. And on the assumption that everyone who stood for more courage to share Jesus already knows Jesus. Does anyone here who doesn't know the Lord? Or you're nowhere with Jesus at the moment and you need to recommit your life to Jesus or give your life to Jesus for the first time this evening. No one's going to notice you're standing in this moment, but I might as well pray for you to be courageous and then sharing him too. We looked at the Samaritan woman the other day. The first thing she did within 20 seconds of meeting Jesus was get a whole village. So if you also, if you want to give your life to Jesus this evening, would you just stand as well? That's brilliant. For at least that one person I just see will stand there, make sure you go to the prayer tent afterwards. And Lord, I pray that you would bless that individual, that they would walk deeply and far with you and that they would know today their sins are forgiven, they can know life in all its fullness. And they're delivered from what was before. But Lord, for the rest of us, I really pray courage. I really pray it now, Lord. I pray that you would show us contexts in which we can stand up and speak up and act up for you. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would anoint my friends for the task in hand. Lord, it's hard. It's hard to speak up for you. It's hard to, to act up and live up for you. But we're desperate, Lord. And we're desperate and we're willing. But we need your help. Even now, reveal to my friends that you are a God of comfort and you are a God who presences himself with us. Presence yourself alongside them and remind them, Lord, that's the same next week as it is now. When New Horizon has been and gone, you are still there. In fact, Lord, I want to pray. In the next seven days for each of my friends stood, I want to pray for an open goal of an opportunity to share you. An opportunity so obvious, so unmissable, and so unavoidable that we have to do it. And I pray that off the back of doing that would come greater confidence for more in the future. I pray too, Lord, for compassion. Forgive us, Lord, for those people we cross the road to get away from. Help us instead, Lord, to see all people as someone you died for. Secondly, Lord, help us see what's wrong. Help us see what's wrong in our world. Help us have your eyes, not ours. That we would make a difference in this world by speaking up and speaking out. But also, Lord, give us the ability for self-giving pep talks (laughs) so that in the weeks ahead when it's really hard, we can still be courageous. And in all things, Lord, 
Might you be glorified in our lives and in our day through the way we live? And might we, your church, be defined by whose we are, not who we are? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In a, in a moment, a band are going to come and lead us, but I just have a sense for some of you, you stood next to someone else you really love and you really know. And then actually, as we begin to sing, some people will sing, but for some of us, we just need to pray for that person we really love who's next to us. We just need to pray, God will bless them. And pray um, in return for the person who's prayed for you. Now you do this however you normally do it. If you're moderately charismatic like me, be outrageous. Stick an arm on a shoulder. You don't have to. But it'd be really good as we stand together as the people of God, it'd be really good to pray for someone else if you feel able to do that. So as we begin to sing in a moment, just turn to the person next to you if you're comfortable doing it. Just, or if you're not comfortable doing it, be, be brave. And just say to the person, can I just pray that God would make you more courageous? Because you know what? It's not about what I do at the front. It's simply about us as the people of God standing together, acting together, changing a nation together. God bless you all. Hold on to that bottle. And together, with compassion, righteousness and courage, we might just change the world.